This will be in the outtakes. Or, or not. All right, I'll count this down. Five, four, three... Hi, and welcome to Filmmaker's Compass Podcast, a show where we talk about movies and, well, more movies. I'm D-Man, joined by CP. And CP, you know, I got a lot of good feedback about our previous episode. I'm pretty sure you listened to all the episodes back. Did you enjoy it? I did enjoy it. We got to talk about the Oscars in a show about movies. Like, what's better conversation about movies than the Ultimate Movies Award Show? Yeah, right? I had a few people just kind of mention to me like, oh, hey, I, this is a movie I was thinking about or all kinds of cool stuff. And it was it was cool to hear from people. So I'm glad the episode did well. But I am excited for the episode we have today because we are going to continue the conversations about the Oscars, which is pretty exciting. Ooh, yeah, but we're going to... We're going to come at it from a slightly different angle this week where we're going to be looking at the actual show itself and not just the uh, nominees and the movies that win the gold. That's pretty cool. I'm looking forward to that conversation. But before we get started, I do want to jump into our shout outs. Now, well, I mean, I'm going to throw... could do the show without shout outs, right? Yeah, I got to throw it to you first. Do you have any shout outs at the top? I'm going to let you uh, kind of take the reins here. You know, shout out to Brian Tenbosch who chimed in when I uh, mentioned that I had seen the new Guy Ritchie movie. Apparently, he is a big fan of Aubrey Plaza, so awesome, man. Glad to nice. hear it. Also, shout out to all our listeners. I was really thrilled in the most recent poll that I put up after going to see Operation Fortune, the new Guy Ritchie movie. I asked everybody one question with three answers. I said, do you like Guy Ritchie movies? Yes, no, or I have no idea who he is. I was thrilled to hear that none of you said you don't like Guy Ritchie. It was overwhelmingly, <laughs> everybody was a fan with about 25% of you saying you'd never heard of him. So stop listening to this episode. Go on Vudu or Redbox or Amazon Prime and just type in Guy Ritchie and start watching his movies. Do yourself a favor. Yeah. It's been around for a long time. I would start with uh, Aladdin. That was, yeah. <laughs> wow. Don't listen to that because that's not even funny. It's not even a joke. It's just terrible advice. Start with... <laughs> Lock stock because that's the beginning or snatch because that's arguably the probably, best. Yeah, it's probably his most popular too. So yeah, great, great movies. Guy Ritchie, shout out. Love your stuff. So even Aladdin, it's not, I don't think it's better than the animated version, but I still enjoyed myself. Love that story. <laughs> so my first shout out this week goes out to uh, Eric Drucker, who said, appreciate the end of episode shout out. Also, Goodfellas is my favorite mafia movie. So I can't believe it didn't win best picture. Crazy to me. Speaking yeah. of Ray Liotta, just saw Cocaine Bear. What a movie. Also, I haven't seen Banshees of Inishirin, or Inishirin, sorry, but I hope they win everything. I loved In Bruges, same co-stars and directors, so I hope they absolutely crush the Oscars this year. Otherwise, I'm all aboard the Top Gun train, and that's the only movie that he's seen. So, <laughs> all right, Drucker, yeah, I guess I... we're all in this together. Uh, <laughs> go Top Gun. Agree with we'll all see. that, Drucker. Glad you went to see Cocaine Bear. I need someone else out there that's going to see these movies, so way to go, man. You know, I have to give a little uh, a little mention here. I myself saw Cocaine Bear. Oh, no, you did? Yeah, I went and, and saw it. You know, it. you're right. It's exactly what you would think. But <laughs> man, the bear was awesome. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Some teenagers did cocaine. I don't even know if they were teenagers. They might be preteens. Yeah, they were like uh, kids. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was awesome. There's funny murders, lots of death, lots of bear mauling. It was pretty great. Lots exactly of cocaine. <laughs> Shocking for a movie called Cocaine Bear. There's lots of bear mollins and lots of cocaine. Who knew? Yeah, it just kind of delivered exactly what you would want from that. And of course, a tip of the cap to uh, Ray Liotta. Yep. So pretty cool. CP, this is a shout out you are not going to like. I talked to my sister who listens to the show. Shout out, Stephanie. And she said she does not like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't know okay. if you want to take back that birthday shout out from last Steph, week. <laughs> I hope you had a miserable birthday. Steph, I'm just really disappointed because 
I've known you most of your life, and here I find out that you hate A Christmas Story and you hate Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I just, I don't know that we could have any sort of friendship going forward from this moment. Sorry. Once Upon a Time was, I loved, I could see where people are kind of like, I'm not sure exactly where this is all going. It was a little long. feel like it might have maybe benefited from a slight trim down, but it's Tarantino. I just want to watch more of what he puts out. So if he's making more movies, uh, yeah, I want to watch it. Steph, maybe we'll have to have a uh, virtual Quentin Tarantino marathon go back watch some of the best and then we'll rewatch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood also CP another shout out for you directly which is uh, Ivor asked what does CP have against James Gunn so how much time you got oh Ivor come on I've <laughs> talked about this on the show all the time and maybe we'll just do an episode about my hatred of James Gunn because that might but I mean good. where does it come from is it I mean here's here for all of our listeners here's a fun fact CP did not like Guardians of the Galaxy. Actually, I watched out of the mo- out of that movie saying, I hate this movie and I never want to see it again. Guardians was great. I, I loved know, well, it. I, I went to see it in the theaters again just to see if I missed something and I hated it even more than I did the first time. I have never Does that seen have anything a James to do Gunn with movie. James Gunn? Yeah. I mean, I can only assume it's him. I don't like his work. I don't like his the way he's destroying DC comics and there's well, that's new <laughs> I don't <laughs> I get like, the feeling you didn't really care for him before he got appointed I, to that position. I just it's like he's a freaking 12 year old and all these things that he does as a grown ass man behaving like a 12 year old is for some reason interpreted as creative genius and I just don't understand it. Please explain to me everyone's love of James Gunn. I don't get it. It starts at Guardians of the Galaxy. Yeah, which is a shitty movie. I like Guardians. I think it's great. It's probably in my top 10 Marvel movies. So CP, we'll get we'll dive more in depth. Maybe, like I said, if uh, we're able to get Ivor on the actual show, you guys can really go at it. That'd be fun for me. I would now be just a a viewer and I would love to see that. CP and my final shout out actually goes to uh, my mom who is watching the podcast regularly. Yes. She's, she's a regular. Yes. So mom, thank you so much for listening. She said she uh, loves the show and us as hosts. And she did have some constructive criticism for me. She told me not to rock back and forth in my chair <laughs> as a viewer. So I think mom, the reasoning for that is sometimes <laughs> I lean in to uh, talking to the microphone. So I kind of sit back. It's not like I'm kind of hunched over if I sit directly over the mic, but I will try my best mom. Thank you for your criticism. <laughs> she just wants you to have good posture, dude. She's worried about your back when you hit turn 70. Yeah, good mom. But no, more than anything, I'm just happy you're listening. So I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And CP, that does it for our shout outs this week. So let's go ahead and uh, dive into our topics. Oh, I got one more shout out. Oh, Danielle Hammersmith, who said, hey, I love the last episode and I miss hanging out with you guys. So Danielle, you rock. Danielle, I miss you too. So maybe we can make that happen. That'd be fun if we can all get together. Maybe grab lunch somewhere or something. That'd be awesome. Awesome. First up in our, our topics this week, CP, we're going to continue the conversation around the Oscars, the Academy Awards. What I wanted to kind of throw out is like the last kind of decade, maybe, but the last few years in particular, I mean, obviously part of this can be attributed to COVID itself, as a lot of things are. Maybe the last decade, the Oscars viewer ratings have been in decline. And there's a lot of discussion around why is that? Are people just not interested anymore? Are the Oscars now boring compared to their 90s counterpart? What happened here? And Mm -hmm. there's no denying the ratings are going down. What do you think's going on? I have a few reasons myself. I don't know if you want me to go through those or you just want to kind of pick up, grab an idea here. 
I think off the top of my head, there's kind of two. Actually, real quick. Do you watch the Oscars and do you love the Oscars? I do not watch the Oscars. I skim the Oscars. I don't sit there and watch the whole three hour thing and the hour and a half like pre You don't watch like, everyone walk down the red carpet? No, I don't care about that. any of that. I normally, okay. just, I usually will record it and fast forward through and watch the award categories I care about and listen to the speeches that I want to hear. Okay, I usually try to put it on. Again, I may not be the uh, major demographic here, the person that's literally watching what everybody's wearing, honing in on every celebrity that appears on camera. That's not me, but I do put it on. It's often in the background. I might be uh, maybe on social media, chatting with people, doing some stuff, coming up with podcast ideas, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But I got it on. I tend to put it on. I enjoy watching the show. I really used to love watching it in the 90s. Shout out again to my mom. We used to watch it every year. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. We actually made like popcorn, had movies to root for. So yeah. it was a lot of fun. Especially I remember your mom used to make a big deal out of the Oscars. Yeah, it was like a special night. Anyway, we'll get into the reasons why we think the ratings are in decline now. But I just wanted to kind of figure out, are we viewers? Are we contributing to this ratings decline? <laughs> To some extent, it sounds like we are. One of the things that, and I want to throw this over to you, because I really don't think this is true. There's a criticism that the Oscars are too political. We talked about it last week, right? There tends to be a, a theme to the Oscars. There tends to be issues that are highlighted every year. Yeah, it's always been political. Hollywood's always kind of been political. I mean, I remember as a kid watching in like 2003 when Michael Moore got up and said, Didn't he get shame booed, on though? you, Mr. Bush. Shame yeah, on didn't you. Like, he get booed? I think he did. I think so. But the, the point is like, it's always a part of, politics have always been a part of it. I think in my mind, I'm not sure if it's political. I feel like it's maybe more an issue of Affluenza. And I think back to like mm, when George okay. Clooney gave his speech, which was like the most out of touch Oscar speech ever, where he's kind of like defending <laughs> the fact that like, oh, we're actors, we're better than everybody because we, without us, like we'd never look at all these issues around the world. And like, it was just such a middle finger to the rest of the world. Maybe the politics mixed with people who are like, hey, I just spent $5 for like a dozen eggs. Yeah, what the F do you really know what you're talking about, George Clooney and DiCaprio and all these people? Yeah, I kind of so, get it. There's people giving speeches up there in suits and dresses that cost more than what people make in a year. Yeah, right. You know, and then they're on their high horse, you know, and it, these are uh, millionaires uh, complaining about the state of the world when everyone else is just trying to make rent and fight off inflation. Yeah, because me reading about it, like, you know, there's a lot of people that were saying like, oh, the Oscars are woke or there's woke culture and all this stuff. And they're like, I just tune that out. And I'm sure maybe to an extent there are some people who do tune out. But part of me was like, you know, yeah, the Oscars have been political for a long time. Uh, I mean, they've always been we... making statements and stuff. I don't know. Before we were born. When Marlon Brando won his award for best the actor Godfather. for The Godfather, yeah. he he sent someone else to accept it on his behalf in protest. Politics have always been part of this thing. Yeah, I think maybe too, there's a little bit of a kind of a stereotypical liberal bias attributed to Hollywood. So mm. it's not usually much of like dialogue, like a political dialogue. It's kind of just like one side and yeah. maybe that's how people perceive it. Sure, maybe that might be true to an extent, but I just don't think, again, the way I'm reading this is people are saying like this ratings decline of like maybe the last decade could be attributed to politics. And I was like, I don't know. We do live in a much more divisive political climate today than maybe back in the 90s for sure. But I don't know. I It just struck me as like unlikely to be the major contributing cause of people tuning out. So I could be wrong. If any listeners out there, you know, if this is the one thing that you had to throw in the towel on the Oscars, let us know. You know, that's mm -hmm. interesting.
that was never it for me. I don't agree with somebody. I just don't agree with them. Just because they preach it at me doesn't mean I have to sit here and agree with it. Whatever. Yeah. The second thing that popped up was uh, just streaming. The endless options that we have available to us. Meaning that when you go back to the 80s and 90s and maybe even the very early 2000s, one of the things that stands out is for a lot of people, the Oscars were just what is on. It was the water cooler event and you were going to watch what's on TV. Well, why not watch what's the big event of the night, right? Today, we have endless streaming options and to that end endless content options mm -hmm. so we can literally pick what we want to watch we don't have to watch what is on i would argue that that probably is a big contributor you're, you're losing a lot of casual viewers that might have otherwise tuned in because they simply just decided to watch something else yeah I would guess that's actually a contributor to it. I think that's yeah. reasonable. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I don't know if that's very debatable. I think that I'm like, okay, that makes a lot of sense to me. Here's another one that actually is debatable. People were saying over the last maybe 20 years, Hollywood has essentially derived all of their, their profits through blockbuster films, comic book movies, Star Wars, you know, all this stuff, you know, I think, what is it? 2001, 2003, and 2005 were the Star Wars prequel trilogy, all the way to the new movies that came out through Disney. You have comic books, all these blockbusters, and then you have art movies or artsy movies. And those are the movies that often end up winning Best Picture. There was this mention of maybe a disconnect between what people are actually seeing when they go to the theaters and then what the nominees are and what movies are winning, meaning that a lot of people haven't seen them and therefore don't really care as they would if it was movies that they had seen and are invested in. Do you think that could be a contributing factor? I think that's definitely a part of it. And I guess I have two things off the top of my head I'm thinking of. One, there are a lot of Oscar nominated films that are not in theaters very long. Okay. Right. To the fact that streaming services will put movies in theaters for a two week run just to qualify for the Oscars. These aren't necessarily movies that everybody's seen if a movie's in the theater for two weeks. But I mm -hmm. think that this is kind of a bigger conversation about why in some ways are our, our ticket sales declining in the long haul. And, and we've talked about this kind of on this show. But I think when you look at some of the movies that have won Oscars in the past, I mean, look at 1939. We talked about it on last week's episode. Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, all three nominated for Best Pictures. I yeah. guarantee you everyone in America saw one, if not two of those movies. Now we get to a point where the movies that are coming out and are nominated are this small section of what's yeah. released. And it's not necessarily movies that people have seen, but I think there's a bigger disconnect, which is Hollywood has been so hyper-focused on these very harsh, depressing, look at the terrible world that we live in movies. Yeah, sure. And it's again, not, not rocky, you know. Yeah, what's uh, the theory of entertainment, right? We're going to escape the crappy world that we live in. So I don't know that there's a huge audience of people that wake up and are like, you know, let's go watch this movie Spotlight about a bunch of kids getting molested. Oh, let's watch this movie Moonlight about this guy who has this terrible life because he's abused and he's growing up gay and all these things that, you know, have made him be bullied by people around him. You know, let's go see the movie Precious. That's just, that's going to really lift me up today, right? Yeah. I think that part of the problem is those aren't the movies that people want to say when they're like, screw it. I have two hours off. I have $20. I want to go watch something fun. And the problem is, yeah, if those are the artistic movies that people think are the most original and pushing the limits of cinema, yeah, that's not what the general public goes to see. They want to see Top Gun Maverick. 
And I will say this. I feel like when I was younger, I often saw a lot of the nominees or movies that were nominated before they were nominated. Like they were movies that I, I just wanted to see. Like I would go to the movies. Like Titanic I feel or like Black now, Hawk Down. Or... Yeah. And I feel like now, even last week's episode is actually somewhat of a good indication of this. A lot of the Oscars movies, I feel like I end up seeing them because they were nominated and I want to watch the Oscars and I want to be invested. But would I have watched them maybe otherwise? And I think that is the point of of what art versus blockbuster kind of is is now i have to like go seek these out because i'm interested thanks to the oscars versus like i just would have watched these movies back in the day or the nominees not maybe these movies yeah so but that doesn't that's no knock on the movies it's just we all have limited time we all probably go to the movies i don't know how often people go i bet it's on average maybe once a month you know the average person so you know you're only gonna see so many movies in theaters a year i bet once a month is generous for most people I don't think they go that frequently. Something else that's interesting too, and I don't have this written down, but it kind of makes me think of this when we talk about streaming. Hollywood, at least for a while, I feel like they're just now starting to overcome this. They had sort of a rejection of movies that were produced by like, say, Netflix. And like you said, Netflix would like put a movie that they produce in theaters for the minimum amount of time to qualify for like the minimum number of screens and time on those screens so they can qualify for an Oscar nomination. But Hollywood was reluctant to embrace those movies. And it's ironic because as we listed above, streaming might be one of the contributing factors to why people are tuning out. Mm-hmm. If people have access to those movies on streaming and they check them out, that might solve the kind of investment in the nominee problem that they have with these yeah. art films, where a lot of people just haven't seen the movies. Yeah. So they're kind of like, I I mean, kind of hard to watch an award show for movies that you haven't seen. You're like, I don't even know what this movie's about. Yeah. And so maybe if streaming, you know, that Hollywood would embrace the viewing habits of, of their target audience. They might have more success getting people invested in the award show and yeah. these art films. Yeah. You know, let yeah. people watch movies the way they want to watch them. You know, I think a movie that was nominated for Best Picture a few years ago was called uh, Marriage Story, which was actually about divorce. So ironically titled. That was a movie that I probably would never go see in the theater. But I watched it on Netflix and it was a great film, great performances. I really enjoyed it. But it was a movie that I would want to check out leisurely on my couch. Yeah. And that was a Best Picture nominee, but I saw it. But I'm like, if I had had to go to the theater, chances are, no way. So maybe this is one of those instances where Hollywood's actually coming around now to embracing that. And this kind of art movie versus blockbuster movie dynamic might start to go away a little bit if they're much more likely to have their target audience watch these, even if it's out. Fair enough. Fair enough. I I feel like they just want people in theater, but you got to work with the people, man. If I want to watch it at home, let me watch it at home. Fair enough. Here's another one that's interesting. And I do think this, if if you go back to when we were kids, CP, and I'll I'll say the, the point really quick. Celebrity oversaturation. So for instance, celebrities are now very accessible on social media. Some of them even have vlogs. They definitely connect with fans on a much more personal, in-depth level across the span of a year, right? Between Oscars. If you think back to when we were kids, the Oscars was like all the A-list celebrities came out. It was one of the few times that if they weren't, you know, in a People magazine story or in the tabloids, you got to see them. They would give interviews. If they won an award, they would give a speech. It was, it made these A-list kind of movie stars accessible. Think about today, and now you have this kind of oversaturation of celebrity, or even to that extent, there's a lot of people who are celebrities that aren't even movie stars anymore.
Mark. No, I, I think it's funny. Anna de Armas said uh, something in an interview last week where she said, you know, we don't have movie stars anymore because everyone's on social media. That's exactly what you're getting to. The point that we can now find these people anywhere and we know all the intimate details of their life. And it used to be this rare opportunity to kind of look behind the curtain and see all of our favorite famous people and what they were doing. Yeah, I, I really do think that was a bit of a draw was mm. kind of like, hey, I want to see these people. And of course, you know, let's, let's call it what it is. These are beautiful people. They're right. And we get to talk. <laughs> they're about easy to look at. We get to talk about who their dates are. And yeah, like you could see the spectacle surrounding it that isn't there anymore. Yeah, I think it does disappear a little bit, you know, fades out where now it's kind of like, ah, you know, I saw The Rock and his thing last week or, you know, obviously I know there's still some some people, you know, George Lucas and Steven Spielberg don't have Twitter. So I'll <laughs> tune into the Oscars if they're going to say something that would be amazing like if they gave like steven spielberg like a generational award i would watch that for sure of course you would yeah. i love I mean, spielberg. you should yeah you should and george lucas if they oh my god i would watch i would tune in just for that but see that's that's the draw you gotta you gotta somehow recapture that that magic where mm -hmm. i think yeah it's just oversaturation so speaking of oversaturation here's another point do you think there's too many award shows in general i do think that that is a big point the oscars were the creme de la creme for the longest time and now we have the golden globes we have the people's choice awards we have the critics choice awards we have the the grammys the espies the mtv movie awards the kids Emmys, choice awards sag yeah right like in fact, there is a season where it's award season and pretty much every Sunday is an award show. And maybe there's a little too much. You know, I mean, I know the Oscars are still considered the gold standard of all award shows, but maybe there's a little bit of burnout. People mm. tune in early. They've already seen this guy win an award. So even though, yeah, he's nominated for the Oscar, you're like, I already heard a speech he gave. Like, I don't need to watch it. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I'm just curious. Maybe that also is a contributing factor. I mean, obviously, all of these might be some combination mm -hmm. of them. Mm hmm. But one of the other things is just we kind of talked about it in the art movies versus blockbusters and what people are seeing in theaters. But simply, uh, they're just the popular movies that people like. They just don't really have anything to root for, which kind of makes sense. And I feel like that's kind of like changes almost decade by decade. Yeah. Like, I feel like a lot of the movies that won in the, you know, kind of 2000, 2010 were still movies that lots of people had had seen. Yeah. I, um, I think so. Like a draw for me, something that I, I can definitely say was a draw was I watched for a long time always rooting for Martin Scorsese to yep. finally get best director. Yep. Like I wanted him to receive that award, even though I think what was the movie that he got it for? Departed. Was it Departed? I mean, good movie, not his best movie. It's not his best movie. I just felt that he should be honored at that prestigious level. And mm -hmm. I would root for him no matter what it was, whether it was the aviator or whatever he was working on. You know, I'm like, yes, I want Scorsese to win. Mm -hmm. And I think we had that for a long time with Leo. Yeah. Where I think people were tuning in a little bit more. Maybe if he was nominated, they were just rooting for Leo. Even if they didn't see the movie he was in, they were like, I just want Leo to get it. I want to see when he gets up there and gives his speech and everything. And I think sometimes you, you got to have some stuff to root for. True. And I, I've talked about this with a lot of different things. In sports, it's a it's a great example of you need narratives, right? We need to be invested in the players or their legacies or their rivalries. You need something story. to root for or against. It's ironic to tell Hollywood they need to figure out story. Yeah. But sometimes I think there might be a slight lack of, you know, they're trying to like prop everybody up, but it's like you might want a little more drama or you might want mm -hmm. <laughs> something for people to get invested in and really root for because that can move the needle. Especially if, you know, you love movies. 
Yep. There were a few other points. CP, do you think the host really would make the ratings decline? I feel like for a long time they really leaned on that as a as a attempt to garner views, but I don't think it makes that much a difference. Yeah, I don't either. I think I mean, unless it's like curious. you were hosting and I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to watch this show. Like my best friend is the host. Like, uh, like, it's not really going to be like a make or break for me. Yeah, we are fine tuning our hosting abilities on this podcast, though. So, yeah, so you know, maybe Academy, one day if you're ready, we're ready. Yeah, we'll we'll do it together, too. We'll be like Amy, Amy Poehler and Tina Fey. <laughs> so- <laughs> my luck, I'd have to give in a we'd have to give an award to James Gunn. That's just the way it would break down. If I host, I'm giving an award to Spielberg. I'll make I'll make it up. <laughs> the D Man's favorite director award. That'll be a segment, and I'm just gonna call out Spielberg and be like, "Come up here, accept it. You are awesome." <laughs> yeah, maybe we'll get to that. I hope we do this now. This would be. Amazing. Did you Did you have any final points? Because obviously, so far the Academy has not been able to turn around the ratings decline. I mean, if anything, they've had maybe a, an increase to a plateau somewhere, but they haven't been able to actually turn it around and really send the needle back up. Is there anything else that you think maybe I missed or or we haven't talked about? Uh, we didn't talk about it. I know that I think that it suffers a little bit from the same thing that the MLB thinks baseball suffers from, that it's just a little bit too long. Mm, Every year, okay. the Oscars always runs over its time slot. And again, it's just kind of just a bunch of wealthy, famous people. You know, just, self-congratulatory. Yeah. And I think that sometimes people are like, you know, we could have got through this whole thing in like two and a half hours. Like, why is it taking four? So, yeah, that's true. I think there's okay. an element of that, which they need to find the balance to streamline it and stuff. Okay, so here's something I wanted to bring up. And this happened last year. So the Oscars got their water cooler moment when Chris Rock made a joke about Jada Pinkett Smith, Will Smith's wife, and he walked up on stage and slapped Chris Rock pretty hard. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that looked like a like a real thing. That was mm-hmm. not theater or theatrics. That he slapped him. And obviously that became mega, mega news. I mean, that was something that was around the world. People were talking about that slap. The Oscars did get their water cooler moment. So one of the things I was maybe thinking, do you think there's a lack of maybe unpredictability? Do you think people, maybe they're like, it's the same thing. Maybe we want some water cooler moments. Like what can you do to be a little bit more unpredictable? You mean we need more people getting slapped and stuff like that? I'm not advocating for physical violence or anything. I'm just saying that like, obviously that was an inadvertent one. Sometimes I think some can be manufactured. You know, Ellen went out and took that famous selfie with all the celebrities in the front row. And at one time, I think that was like one of the most retweeted tweets on Twitter. Can you maybe try to manufacture some more of that so that people aren't necessarily like next category? I think that's fair. That's a good point. Bring a little bit of spectacle to it. Thing, just a little unpredictability. I don't know. We haven't addressed the slap itself. I will say this regarding that incident is I freaking love Will Smith. It was a bummer, obviously, to see that. I think, honestly, the moment just got the better of him, and I'm sure he regrets it. But Will Smith, you rock and keep going. Don't let all the haters get you down, man. I don't know. CP, are you a hater? Oh, dude, I hate everybody. You know that. Our audience (laughs) knows that. I'm actually a big Chris Rock fan, though, and I think he should get a chance to host Oscars. He deserved it. How many other people have been assaulted in the pursuit of awards presentation? Very few. Let's let's let him host. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I thought the public lashing that Will Smith took was just a bit of overkill. I was like, all right, slap the guy. He shouldn't have done it. Obviously, he's going to apologize and all of that. Like, he has such a long career and personality of, of, you know, history of goodwill. Goodwill. I don't know to see everybody just basically like throw all of that out the window and they're like this guy is trash i was like oh my god that's such that's the culture we live in though it is yeah. kind of what it is but will smith i hope you turn it all around man i'm a big fan love independence day love men in black well 
CP, I did want to talk to you a little bit about actual Oscar hosts. So we just we just mentioned Chris Rock. Little little segment. Who who do you remember that we've seen? Who was your favorite Oscars host? You know, who did you really enjoy? I've always loved Billy Crystal and he's hosted a bunch. I just think he's got a good self-deprecating sense of humor. He's quick on his feet. I remember the year that Lord of the Rings won, he had this great line where he's like, people are moving yes. to New Zealand to be thanked. Like, and he was just funny. But he also, he loved movies. I agree. And sometimes I feel like hosts either get in this weird position where either they're almost a little like intimidated and starstruck by the fact that they're supposed to be front and center of all these major media personalities, or there's other people who just get a little critical and bitter. And I thought that Billy Crystal always just kept it fun. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things I remember as a kid when he hosted, so a little bit before Return of the King, I don't know how many times he's hosted, but I think he's done a few. Like six or seven. Yeah, he's done it a few times. I, I think one of the things that always stuck with me as a kid is the show itself was so fun because he made it this celebration of movies, mm -hmm. of Hollywood. It just felt so cool. Like, I remember he would do these bits at the beginning of his hosting where he would kind of, it was like a, almost like a theatrical segment, or even sometimes they would create like kind of a pre role video where like he would appear in other like movies you mm -hmm. know sometimes the it would be the nominees but you know sometimes he might like end up on a boat in jaw I, I don't know I, I always thought that was so much fun and he had some such a like you said uh, like a self-deprecating personality he was never too too big for that moment but also yeah. he he just always seemed like he was having fun yeah i feel like now with hosting a lot of what they're doing is they're going to essentially like comedians as hosts it's a little bit of a kind of a stand-up bit or like a you know sometimes it's a hollywood roast yeah <laughs> the the guys just get up there and do a do a comedy routine and sometimes that leads to awkward results because they're going to point out you know either some hypocrisy within the industry or some individuals who might have done yeah. some naughty things this yeah. last year. You know, I do miss that kind of celebration of the movies. I will say this, though. If they ever, and I don't think they ever will, because I don't think it's necessarily the vibe the Oscars are going for, but if they ever get Ricky Gervais... <laughs> How amazing like it, would that be? Yeah, if you're ever going to just go that route, go all the way and just get that guy. And it would be eviscerating for everyone in the room. Oh. I mean, they would. And it would be hilarious for us as an audience. Yeah, he was great as, was it Emmys or Golden Globes? I thought it was the Golden Globes where he just like roasted everybody. Yeah, but he really went, he, he wasn't, because sometimes, you know, these guys, it's like the vibe the Oscars are asking for is maybe playful. Yeah. And so they might hint at something. And Ricky Gervais just like called it out. And I was like, yep. all right, I'm here. I'm here for that. That was pretty great. <laughs> but yeah, I have to agree. I think my two favorites recently, probably Jimmy Kimmel was pretty good. I liked mm. him. But Billy Crystal. Like Jon Stewart. I remember like 20 years ago, Steve Martin did it and he had the best line at the very end, like as he was wrapping up, he's like, and I'd like to thank Steven Spielberg because, well, I mean, it never hurts. And I was like, <laughs> fair enough. That's awesome. I think it was Hugh Jackman had a good like, that set where he, piece. Like, was like singing and dancing. And yeah. I was like, where did this come from, Hugh? I kind of liked it. Yeah. All right. Well, while we're on the topic of, of these things that we liked, I also just wanted to ask you, are there any memorable acceptance speeches? Anything that really stands out? I think one that we already mentioned was when Marlon Brando skipped the Oscars. And yeah, that was a couple uh, years before our time. Trying to think what her name was, but uh, an, a Native American Indian woman, Sachin Littlefeather. Mm -hmm. went up and accepted the Oscar on his behalf, but he was obviously making a very political point by both not attending and having that person because he could have attended and she could have gone up with him. He definitely made sure to make that point. 
I yeah. have one I think you'll remember. Is it the one with Coppola? George Lucas and Spielberg? Yeah, and Scorsese. And they all yeah, that, that was amazing. But no, do you remember when Roberto Bernini accepted his award for Life is Beautiful? No, not really. Oh my God, it was amazing. This guy had energy for the entire room. He literally like was jumping on chairs and holding up his Oscar and <laughs> celebrating. It was incredible. And he just had this contagious energy that I loved. He obviously, this is, what was that? Like early 2000s? No. Oh, that was like 97. Okay, so this is like before social media, before, right? Yeah. This is water cooler time. But he yeah. definitely kind of stole the show. And I remember too, uh, you know, what was the famous speech? Sally Field. You love me. <laughs> yeah, you yeah. really yeah. love me. I mean, parodied, you know, to great greatness and the mask and, you know, a legendary kind of moment. There were a few. I, I Obviously, I tuned in, like I said, to watch Scorsese's speech. DiCaprio, of course, had to watch Revenant. One for the Revenant, yeah. Did you like The Revenant? It's a well-made movie. I still don't think it's DiCaprio's best performance. <laughs> See, I was going to say the same thing. I was like, you know, I thought it was good. Obviously, it's beautifully shot. I know to, you know, the lengths they went while they were on set with sunlight and, and some of the things that were going on on that set, you know, the, the harsh weather and, and some mm -hmm. of the conditions. Quite incredible. And it looks stunning and beautiful. But I was like, man, Leo won for that out of all his great performances. You know, that was the one. But what are you going to do? All right. You know, I, I think, you know, a few other standout moments just for me from the Oscars. I do love when they perform some of the music from the songs that were mm. in the movies that year. That can always yeah. be fun. I liked when uh, Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga performed their song from A Star, uh, Star is Born. Did Whitney Houston get up there for The Bodyguard? I would assume so. Again, I think so. My time, I remember so that. I don't, I don't remember that. Celine Dion from Titanic. Yeah. Those were fun. God, I can't wait for the Oscars now. Eminem really... went up for uh, Eight Mile. Didn't he do it, though, like years later? He was supposed to go, and like he didn't go the year Eight Mile came out. Or no, maybe that was the Grammys. I'm sorry. I think that was the Grammys. Yeah, maybe that was the Grammys. Because I thought he went up. I thought he, he performed went up. with Elton John. Yeah, I think I remember that. All right, well, just, you know, shooting the shit right now. Because I'm in. I'm excited for the Oscars. I can't wait. So anyway, I wanted to end our podcast this week, CP, talking a little bit about trilogies. So the inspiration oh, for this was yeah. Creed. Creed 3 just came out this weekend. I don't know if you have seen it yet. I have not seen it, but I am really excited. I actually read a review where it said the final battle in Creed 3 is akin, is straight out of Dragon Ball Z. So I was like, I gotta oh. see it now. All right. Like, well, I watched the first Creed. I loved it. I thought it was great. It was cool how they kind of blended the old with the new. And I know now they're already all new. Like I heard yeah. Creed 3 is not really anymore paying a lot of homage to previous Rocky films. But that's great. I mean, it carved out its own identity there. So that's fantastic. I did not see Creed 2, though. Was it good? I did not see it either. So, okay. Yeah. I got to watch. Then it's trilogy time, baby. I got to watch all three now <laughs> and might get to hit the theaters again. So, I just wanted to end our, our show this week doing a list of uh, our top five favorite trilogies. I'll throw it over to you and explain your rationale for why uh. you picked what you picked. What are your all time kind of favorite trilogies? And, okay, real quick, I got to acknowledge CP and I talked about this. Our trilogies are pretty much the same. <laughs> Well, the top two are. So I'm taking Star Wars original trilogy and CP's taking Lord of the Rings. And that's just to give our list a little diversity. But realistically, those are my one and two. And they're pretty interchangeable. I love Star Wars more, but I mean, wow, Lord of the Rings is stunning. And objectively, it's probably the best trilogy ever made. Yeah, you guys know we would do our list. We try not to overlap. The big criteria I looked at is this. I didn't want to just look at movies that were sequels. The Die Hard movies, you know, the Fast and the Furious movies. Alien. Uh, there's millions and millions of these sequel-heavy movies. 
what we were talking about is, and what I thought was really important is what is a movie series that is constructed in a trilogy format where Mm. each, the two sequels to the original film are advancing the story, are pushing the character development further. So we see a complete arc, whether it's a story arc or a character arc. That was what I was interested in. So that was one of the things that I was really trying to consider with listing trilogies. I have an example for you and I'm curious, does this fit your criteria? All right. Indiana Jones, original three. No. Okay. For one, the second movie to be released is before the original It is movie. indeed a prequel. I don't it's even know prequel. if that's stated, but it is. The other thing is the characterization of Indy is not really dependent on the other two films. Yeah, it's very and serialized. The story beats are it's 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 super episodic. The story beats aren't really related in any way. Okay. And so for me, I was like, yeah, I mean, if I had to pick favorite movie series of all time, it's totally up there, but I just don't see it as a structured trilogy in the same way that some of these other ones are. Gotcha. Okay, but just wanted to clarify. So now I get it. All right. All right. So are you ready, D-Man? Hell yeah. Number five for me. I'm going to go with the Jason Bourne trilogy. Oh, interesting pick. Bourne Identity, Bourne Supremacy, and Bourne Alt. And that's just because each of those three movies is... Well, the exploration and the destruction of of Treadstone on his quest to destroy this Treadstone entity. But it's also Jason Bourne's quest to connect with the person he was before he lost his memory. And great action. Oh, I mean, incredible action at the time. I think you could say they were some of the, one of the greatest action franchises ever, you know, truly pushing the limits of what we'd seen on, on screen at the time. It was a lot of fun. But as I said, I think there is a very clear story about Jason Bourne and he's trying to discover who he was and each of the, you know, obviously the movies are really convoluted, but each one peels back another layer in, in terms of the person that he was when he was an agent, the person that he was before he was an agent, and the person who he has come to in this post-Treadstone life that he lives as a free man outside of the control of the agency. Gotcha. Oh, great pick. That, I wouldn't, it didn't make my list, but now I'm <clears throat> not reconsidering, but that actually is really good. Number four for me, I'm going to go with the Thor trilogy. I, oh, yes. I know you love yes. this one. I love this one. It's Great very pick. much, unlike a lot of the other Marvel movie trilogies, this one truly based around the arc of the character of Thor. The first movie, he's this spoiled brat who is entitled and doesn't understand the meaning of honor and doesn't understand his responsibility as a ruler. He's ungrateful of the powers that he has. He takes his father for granted. And systematically through the three films, and I think everybody agrees the second Thor movie is the weakest, but through each of the three films, the character actually of like Thor Dark World. is tested. Break it down. Why do you like it? I love the character of Thor, but I love the lesson he learns by the end, which is essentially he rejects the throne. In the beginning of the first movie that's all he wants is to become king of asgard it's his birthright he is entitled to it and by the end of the second one he's basically like either i'm not ready or even to a degree i think he's like i don't really want it it's not what i really want and thor's on a search for identity which is you know one of the great themes of all cinema and And by the third one everything he believes is really challenged and taken from him. He loses his hammer, he loses his hair, he loses his powers, he loses his father. He finds out about this bastard history of Asgard that he didn't know existed, and he loses Asgard. And at the very end, he truly evolves to be this selfless leader who is doing what is best for his people. And I think that is an incredible trilogy that they created through the Thor movies by three separate directors. Great pick, yeah, that's awesome. Number three for me. This one I had to think about. This, so I'm going with Mission Impossible, but specifically the second trilogy. There's one, two, three, then there's okay. four, five, six. And four, five, six is, is Ghost Protocol, Rogue Nation, and Fallout. 
Those and are the ones with uh, Simon Pegg and all of them. Who are in earlier movies, but those three, it's really much more of a cohesive team, but it's really Ethan Hunt and the IMF team going up against this shadow organization known as the Syndicate. The Syndicate pops up at the end of Gross Protocol, and that's who he's squaring off against in five and six. And I mean, for one, the, the those last three, the Mission Impossible movies just blow my mind in the sense that almost every movie is better than the previous. Interesting. And I don't know how they can keep pushing the limits in that way. But the first three movies are kind of disjointed in the sense that they're just sort of new adventures in the life of Ethan, Ethan Hunt. Yeah. By the time we get to the third, there's really a cohesive story, which looks like it may even truly be wrapped up in, in these these last two films coming out. So for me, I think it's a great story because it's him finally finding out who's behind the syndicate that does exist and his attempts to take him down. Cool pick, yeah. Number two, I'm going to go with the Man of Steel trilogy. Wow. Yeah, and um, if you knew me oh. before this podcast, I would say, no way, I hate Zack Snyder. But as I have said, every episode that I get a chance, finally seeing his complete vision with the Snyder cut, his completed version with Batman v Superman, the ultimate cut, and then the original Man of Steel, we see that there's a cohesive vision and a cohesive story of what he was trying to say. And I think it's really powerful. I truly enjoy it. And that is a controversial pick right there. Oh. That uh, listeners, well, you know, everybody viewing, uh, let me know what you think of that. Number two? Yeah, number two, man. Wow. Okay. That's controversial. And then number one, I mean, Lord of the Rings. We already said I was going to take it, but oh, God, what Peter Jackson did with those movies, transferring probably one of the greatest literary trilogies of all time onto the big screen in such a way that it's really hard to find fault with those movies. The, the arcs oh, are fantastic. completed. The the journey and the narrative of the third age of Middle Earth is completed. And it's it's incredible. I love it. I mean, we, we've talked specifically about the special effects and how Lord of the Rings is really the pinnacle of special effects. It combines almost anything you can think of that's been used. Model work, CGI, mm -hmm. blue screen, force perspective, anything that would be considered an effect. I mean, they probably used it because since then we've really migrated towards CGI, but this was like the absolute pinnacle of all the knowledge and tools of filmmaking. But I mean, the score was amazing. Howard Shore, the acting was great. I mean, it just blew me away. Listen, that's my list. I mean, audience, chime in and tell me your thoughts, but. No, great list. I loved it. I, I do think the Man of Steel trilogy at number two is that we're going to have to dissect. We might have to do a whole episode dedicated to the Snyderverse. Talk about that more in depth because. Right. Well, it's probably a little bit of bias talking there. All right. Well, my list of top trilogies, my favorite trilogies of all time. I'm going to start it off with number five. And CP, you're going to love this. It's the Star Wars prequel trilogy. I have both George Lucas trilogies on my list, but the prequel trilogy is incredibly impressive to me because it's the story that we all knew we, we wanted especially when George Lucas went back and renumbered A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi as four, five, and six, the original mm -hmm. trilogy. So we knew there was a one, two, and three, right? Mm -hmm. This is the trilogy. Everybody was like, we got to get the first three episodes and notoriously known as the prequel trilogy. It was very poorly received at the time, particularly Phantom Menace. I think people were expecting the original Star Wars style, just a new set of adventures. And that's not what we got. Why I put it on my list is because I have such admiration for George Lucas for just telling the story that he wanted to tell and not just remaking original 
original Star Wars again for the fans. Yeah. He had a real story he wanted to tell. Now, did he tell it in maybe the best way possible? Was there some wooden cheesy dialogue? Yes, there was. Was, you know, uh, some of the acting off a little bit as a result of that dialogue? Yes, probably. Should Darth Maul have died at the end of Phantom Menace? Probably not. But I do just, I admire what he was doing with the prequel trilogy. For one thing, he's pushing the boundaries of technology forward with special effects. These are state-of-the-art. People had never seen effects like this. The pod race, some of this stuff. He's doing absolutely incredible things. I thought John Williams knocked it out of the park with a score. We got some absolute classics, Star Wars classics. I mean, Duel of the Fates, amazing. Yeah. And ultimately, we did end up with Revenge of the Sith, which is actually the story everybody wanted in the end. You know, should, probably should have just taken Revenge of the Sith and found the story within there to tell three movies. Mm-hmm. But whatever, that's besides the point. And I, I honestly, I like the prequels. I still watch them. I know it's actually grown on a lot of Star Wars fans as of recently, especially after the Disney trilogy. Mm-hmm. I think people have come to respect what George Lucas was doing then. I'm glad it's on my list. I'm bookending. I already told you guys Star Wars is on my list and OT original trilogy is number one, but I'm bookending with Star Wars and that probably makes sense for me, but love that trilogy. Next up, I'm actually going to do the Captain America trilogy. So I know you Mm -hmm. had Thor Mm -hmm. on your list, but I also really love Captain America almost for some of the same reasons that you outlined for Thor, even though I do agree, I think Thor probably does a little better, but that is you take Captain America, a character who is a soldier, somewhat of a yes man. He's always kind of doing his own thing because he has the ability to do that, but he's a company guy all Mm -hmm. the way from Winter Soldier where that distrust builds of authority and his higher ups and the people in charge Mm -hmm. all the way to Civil War where he has that quote where he's like, the best hands are still our own, meaning we should answer to no one. Mm-hmm. He literally sees that through. And at the end, he actually breaks out his fellow Avengers in, you know, from the raft in prison. It has a fantastic character arc. But more than that, I think there's some really good stuff throughout the trilogy. I love the quote the doctor gives him in Captain America 1 about why he was chosen. Do you remember what the exact quote is? No, I can't think of it off the top of my head. It's something along the lines of like, we didn't pick you because you're strong or this or that. We picked you because you're a good man. That That's the type of person that deserves to have these powers, mm-hmm. right? I love under the radar spy thriller that is Winter Soldier. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a little bummed to find out that the Winter Soldier himself was mind controlled just because I think it robs the character of some agency, but yeah. they rectified it with the plot in Civil War, which has one of the best fight scenes in all of the MCU, the airport duel, which is, you know, kind of Avengers light. More than anything, I was so happy that Captain America Civil War truly remained a Captain America film at heart. Yeah. It really was. True. It's not and just it's, an Avengers film. Yeah. Right. It sees his theme all the way to the end, and it's a great arc. And I really enjoy that trilogy. The rewatchable quality of that trilogy, too, is just fantastic. Stuff. So, this actually has my favorite comic book movie of all time, but this is the Dark Knight trilogy. So the Dark Knight yeah. being being the best comic book movie ever. Now, I have gotten into a debate with my friend Anthony. He believes that the Batman, the newest one, with Robert Pattinson as Bruce Wayne Batman, is superior to the Dark Knight. You're and wrong. I, Anthony's wrong. I disagree. I think the Dark Knight is to this day still the gold standard. Heath Ledger as the Joker, an Oscar-winning performance, but absolutely amazing. <clears throat> I think he and... Nolan and everyone really involved knocked it out of the park. Iconic scenes. There's it's very quotable. The score that was developed for this trilogy is great. I think the weakest of the three is probably Dark Knight Rises, but I still love Rises. Oh, I, I mean, hate Rises. No, I love it. I mean, yeah, there's criticism to be had, and rightfully so. You know, mentions of things like 
like Robin and some of this stuff. I was like, I don't think Bruce Wayne would just go like globetrotting in Europe and give up being Batman. But whatever. I love the the stories. I thought Bane was great. The Joker was a bit great. And Roz as uh, villains, even the Scarecrow was cool. And they just they did a great job. I think Batman Begins really set the gold standard at the time of kind of the direction comic book movies could go. Yeah. I think, obviously, I love Tim Burton's Batman, but it just kind of like reshuffled the deck and was like, hey, you can do this a different way. And everybody was like, oh, shit, this is really good. But Dark Knight, best comic book movie ever. So that's got to make my list. Absolutely. Number two, this suffers. And of course, everybody probably knows what I'm talking about. If Star Wars is number one, number two is the Godfather trilogy. But it suffers a similar fate where the first two movies really carry this trilogy and the third is generally considered to be much weaker. Did you ever... In defense of The Godfather Part 3, the first two won Academy Awards. Yeah, bar's really high. The bar is so ridiculous high. And the third one was an Academy Award-nominated Best Picture in its own right. So it's not like it's a bad movie. I think as time has gone on, people have gone to appreciate it, especially when Coppola decided to kind of recut it. Oh, yeah. What was it called? Uh, Godfather 3 Coda, I think. I mean, unfortunately, you are right, though. Like, no matter what, it's never going to be as good as 1 and 2. I mean, here's the thing, though. These movies are cinema at its finest. I mean, they're incredibly quotable. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. Just when I think I'm out, they pull me back in. You know, these are quotes from all three. I mean, that and they're they all have multiple quotes throughout but to your point in addition to the films having absolutely some of the best acting ever a a, a iconic score it does follow what you outlined for your trilogies which is it really is the story of michael corleone's rise and even in the third one his ability to try to hand off this empire and he's essentially unable to yeah. And it does follow him, you know, basically from his introduction to we us an, an assumed death and maybe in Coda mm-hmm. that's clarified a little bit. I think the the story and, and the darkest moment, I mean, really in some of cinema history at the end of two, when Michael Corleone has gone so dark, he's so isolated from his family, from his his other family, just he's mm-hmm. literally isolated himself. He lives a very sad life for the type of power and influence he has. He's not enviable. As the viewer, we do not really want to be him anymore. You're like, he's a bad guy. He kills his own brother. And we're talking about a Sicilian mafia family. He kills his own brother. That's absolutely insane. I love it. I mean, I, I, I just think everything about the movies was done so well. CP, that takes us to number one, my all-time favorite trilogy. And I can't tell you how many times I've watched these movies. They are iconic in almost every single way imaginable. And that's the Star Wars original trilogy. They pushed the boundaries of special effects. They showed a whole generation of filmmakers what was possible to do on the big screen. They inspired so many people. And there's just memorable characters, iconography everywhere from spaceships to laser swords, robots, Jabba the Hutt, Yoda. Like, (laughs) if you think about this, Yoda is a puppet in this trilogy. That is movie magic. That is movie magic. He's well, a puppet, and he's one of the most iconic characters in film history. <laughs> no, I mean, you're right. But I, I think, again, you get to the point which Lucas wrote this as a trilogy. There is a beginning, an introduction. There is a second. The Empire Strikes Back is not a does not end on a high note in any way. Everything falls apart for everyone. And finally, at the very end of Return of the Jedi, they manage to be victorious and achieve their goals. While the whole time we see Luke Skywalker go from being this total novice who knows nothing about the Force to rising to the ranks of full-on Jedi knighthood. I mean, what um, um, what Lucas did in the writing is phenomenal. 
No, and I love, like, I think we talked about this on a, a few episodes back when we were talking about Star Wars, but, like, my appreciation for the uh, father reveal in Empire Strikes Back, one of the, the greatest cinematic reveals in history. I mean, it, it blew people away. I, I, I such, I so appreciate that moment because it's done to perfection. And mm -hmm. I think we talked about this where like sometimes certain movies do things where they reveal something, some piece of information, and it's a big deal for the fans, but not to the characters. You know, I think we talked about this with like Star Trek Into Darkness. There's a, a con reveal. Well, the characters don't know who Khan is. So like to us in the audience, we're like, oh, it's Khan. But to the characters, they're like, that means nothing to me. Or the opposite, which I like to use as an example is like Blade Runner 2049. Yeah. To the characters, they reveal like, oh my God, she had a child. And the characters are like, that's crazy. But to like me in the audience, I was like, I guess they can do that. I don't know. You know, <laughs> but when you watch Empire Strikes Back and Darth Vader reveals to Luke Skywalker that he is indeed his father, us in the audience are like, oh, no. And then Luke has an even bigger no. And he's like, no, like it's yeah. a bigger deal for the character. Even yeah. as, as floored as we all are in the audience, yep. it's, at, it's more impactful to the story than it is to us just finding that out. And it's the perfect reveal. And that's why I love it. But Star Wars OT, I've actually talked about this uh, on a previous podcast. I, I've described Star Wars, the original trilogy, as looking like a painting. And after mm -hmm. watching Light and Magic, that uh, we have a, if you go back probably a couple months, we have an episode, we talk about ILM and special effects. Star Wars is a, like literally built on matte paintings. Like it yeah. is a no, painting. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. I love it. And you could probably sense it in my voice. This is like the most excited I've been on this show in a while. Uh, yeah. But, except for like last week when we talked about Star Wars then. I, I will. I have. A, a little story before. about Star Wars, which is obviously I didn't watch it till uh, the 90s. So obviously it came out in 77, 80 and 83. So I didn't see it till probably 10 years after Return of the Jedi and maybe a little after that. I don't know. It's probably about 10. No, probably eight. I don't know. Whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, anyway, it was it was so cool because I watched Star Wars and like I fell in love. I had my mom take me to Toys R Us and I bought that VHS set that had like, you know, it was, it was the yeah. space one, but it had like the helmets and then Yoda. Yeah, it was like a Darth Vader. It was like a stormtrooper, Darth Vader, Yoda, and Yoda. Darth Vader. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Yeah, and I bought that set, and just because you know my mom is listening to the show, she I remember she said she was blown away because she was like, "You react the same way that the kids did in the seventies, right? They want the T-shirts, they want the toys. I, I wanted it all, you know." fell in yeah. love with Star Wars, and it I, it always stuck with me because that means that Star Wars is a timeless classic that you didn't have to see it when it came out to love it. It will probably have the same effect on new generations of kids for the future. That's how great of a trilogy it is. It's amazing. Yeah, that's the truth, man. And with the effects they did, it's aged incredibly well. I mean, obviously it's been cleaned up for special editions and stuff, but I think it looks great. <laughs> so, all right. Well, CP. Yeah, because after all, you're going to have criticism of Star Wars DN. I don't have any. I think it's perfect. I could probably go on and just rant about how much I love Star Wars for ages. So we're going to go ahead and end it. That's probably a good idea. So audience, first of all, tell us your thoughts on the Academy Awards. Are you going to be watching? It is coming up on this Sunday. Are you going to check it out? Are you not going to? And what's your reasoning as to why nobody cares about this important thing anymore? More I'll importantly, give us your trilogy list. What's your favorite trilogies and why? Oh, CP.
MVP. There's, I'll throw this out there for our listeners just to get your, your the wheels moving in your brain. There's the Matrix trilogy, Back to the Future trilogy, Toy Story 1, 2, and 3, Planet of the Apes. There's so many horror trilogies and, and variations. I mean, hell, if you love the Mighty Ducks, I don't care. I do. But let us know what you think. I mean, I'd love to hear from you guys. So, well, that does it for our episode this week. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. I know I had a lot of fun talking about the Academy Awards and, and my favorite trilogies. So keep the conversations going by going to filmmakerscompass.com where we have all of our social media accounts listed as well as a feed of all previous and newest episodes of the show. You can follow me and message me directly or interact on uh, any of these topics. All my social media handles are at Big Kid D Man, so you can find me on any of the major ones. CP, where can they you can find you? Follow me at NDCal5. Thanks for checking out this week's episode. Make sure you hit us up on social media with your thoughts. We will see you back here next week. In the meantime, keep watching movies.